Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, live at Advertising Week. We're sitting down and learning from some of the best disruptors in business, including Shelly Zalas, founder of the Girls' Lounge, Abigail Posner of Google, Mr. Goodvertising himself, Thomas Colster, legendary admin and founder of Tomorrow, John Bond, advertising professor, Anthony Kalamut, and the woman who sits at the intersection of Madison Avenue in Hollywood, UTA's Glisten McCary. So sit back and get inspired as we tackle the trends, challenges, and buzzwords of advertising. We are thrilled to have uh, the founder of the Tomorrow Agency, part of Shipyard now, and also the founder of legendary Madison Avenue Agency, Kirschenbaum and Bond. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mr. John Bond. Thank you very much, Mr. Rob Schwartz. Excellent, excellent. Now, now, just to maybe uh, bring in some of your past with uh, the present. So let's say we roll back the clock. It's Kirschenbaum and Bond circa 1990. Um, again, the, the, um, the ethos of that agency, the, 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 the street smarts of that agency. How would K&B, uh, f- what would you do with some of these new tools, do you think? Uh, you know, it's a great question. Um, we were always big on experimenting. You know, the original idea of the agency was word of mouth. Um, oh, interesting. That was the whole idea. Um, Create things so amazing that people talked about them. Yeah, that was the original idea. Um, today, I think a lot of the great brands are being built without mass advertising. They're being built on um, earned media, which you have to earn, and everything's marketing. Anything Can't we pay for earned media? Certainly. Ask the media agencies. I think think they would say yes. (laughs) So I I think the idea of building an organic brand and how to do that consistently at scale um, is a great question. I think that's something I would tackle. How to give that, um, you know, a structure and a metric and that sort of thing. Hmm. And you, you mentioned that there are brands that, that are building their brands without traditional uh, tools. Uh, who's getting it right? I mean, is there anyone that you go, wow, I really think? Yeah, well, Tesla's done pretty well with, I think, no advertising or very, very, very little. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it goes back to the question of what is marketing, right? If you... Um, if, if, if you have a flagship store on Fifth Avenue and you were a high-end retailer and that store lost money, to me, the, the extra money is marketing mm-hmm. because anyone that walks through that store has a brand experience and is going to buy more stuff, even if they buy it online, right? So it's, it's, to me, marketing is not a vertical, it's a horizontal. Mm. And because we look at it as, oh, marketing's only buying an ad or it's doing this or doing that, marketing is really anything that the customer comes in contact. Part of marketing is your hiring policy. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't hire LGBT, you can guarantee someone's going to be upset about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NFL and how they react to players kneeling that's marketing right Mm -hmm. so um, the most powerful parts of marketing are the parts that we don't actually consciously think of as marketing because they're authentic so it's really more like how you create a religion you know one of the cliches in the industry is a movement but Mm -hmm. okay I am that's kind of BS because I mean I've heard that too many times this week (laughs) but but it's almost movement behind our allergy movement yes it's a movement no it's not okay sorry 
All right. But I love what you said about uh, marketing being horizontal, because I think that there is an effect of great marketing, just as you say, uh, in uh, kind of creating an environment of favorability from hiring, from your typeface, from the stuff you do. Well, we're here with Abigail Posner. She is the head of strategic planning at the zoo. Yes. Not the Bronx Zoo. No, it feels like the Bronx Zoo, though. But it is the zoo at Google. So, yes. Abigail, welcome to the Disruptor Series. Thank you. What's, uh, give, us, give us one thing we can look forward to. And well, I, as I said, I just came back from doing some amazing work on VR. And it is early days, really early days. But, you know, I, what we have learned could change everything for not just for human beings but for brands and businesses mm. i mean what vr has done and right now everyone's talking about the headset it's a lot of conversation about the yeah. gear yeah. the gear is expensive the gear you know this you is, it's wonky and you look <laughs> dorky and everyone else around you is laughing there's a whole genre of youtube of youtube videos of uh, you watch of other people watching their friends looking so idiotic right perfect right which is which is great which is great because it means people actually are getting into it, um, and they do get into it. But in, in a nutshell, what VR is allowing us to do is totally break the, the traditional story structure. Mm. So what we've all come to acknowledge is once upon a time something happened, there's a conflict, the end, button, ain't so. Wait a minute, so you've just launched Storytelling 2.0. Well, we call it Story Living. <laughs> okay. It's not even storytelling. Yeah, so that's really exciting. Because that was, you know, our, I, th I think the, the, the buzzword of this advertising week is going to be a, uh, AI, mm. where I think last year was programmatic, but the year before was storytelling. So I'm glad that we have yeah. a, a new shiny object. And what is story? I mean, Story that's, living. I like it. Story living. And, you know, I had a big debate on a podcast with someone who said, I don't believe what you're talking about is story. And I said, well, well what, what is story? Yeah. The outfit you're wearing. We had this discussion, yeah. right? The outfit you're wearing is a story about you. Is there a beginning, middle, and end? Right? right now we're in the middle. There's no end yet. <laughs> but my point is I think it's an interesting conversation about what does it mean to have a story and what should we be experiencing when we actually have a story and what, are, what is the responsibility when the story is, quote, over? I kind of feel that story, again, being completely manhandled and, and, and beaten up at this <laughs> juncture in history uh, and this juncture in advertising. As a storyteller? Yeah, but the thing about a story is it's a way to capture and keep attention. Yes. So even if you don't like the word storytelling, I think as a brand, you want someone to pay attention. Well, story is back to fundamentals. Mm. Story is how we make sense of our worlds. It's how we connect. Yeah. Right? I, I tell you something about myself so that you can feel some connection with me. Right. Like when we talked about the uniforms. Um, so we, we can't live without it. Yeah. The question is, though, how do we want to express it now? And how is it going to penetrate? Because... The issue I think so many brands are facing, and other storytellers for that matter, is we kind of know the story structure. We know, at least in the world of advertising, we know how it sounds, we know how it looks, we know how the announcer sounds, you know there's the button at the end. You just, there's just certain aspects of that story experience that are so been there, done that, that yep. people have tuned out. And if story is a way to truly connect, how can we then leverage a new way of storytelling in order to, to connect. I think you've really hit it. I think there are so many tropes and so many conventions. Yes, codes and cues that we all... Yeah, we just know it now. And I, I ache for our clients because I know they want the next thing. 
and um, I think we're going to have to discover it. it. To me, it's not that storytelling is going away, but we need some new way to yes, tell these things. absolutely. And I, I really believe, and it's, it's early days, which is why uh, the fuck-ups are teaching us things. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's early days, and I, and I really think that as we start playing with this medium, we're going to see how, how amazing it is. I mean, it, at the end of the day, what story living allows you to do which is, to me, so fundamental to what a brand needs, is get to the essence of what that brand is all about. Mm. What is that brand? Not what does it sound like or smell like or what, is it, what benefits it gives you. What is it all about? What is its meaning, really? And only when you can actually get inside the brand. Now, it could mean, like, get inside the factory where that product mm-hmm. is created or maybe get on the, t- on the, the tea le- you know, get on the mountains picking tea leaves mm-hmm. to understand really how the tea is then, the tea leaves are turned into tea. Or maybe it means getting into the shoes of someone experiencing, like imagine getting into the shoes of, of a basketball player on the mm-hmm. court. Then you really understand the essence of NBA. Welcome back to our Advertising Week special. We are here with Thomas Colster. He's the man they call Mr. Goodvertising, and he's the author of a phenomenal book called Goodvertising, Creative Advertising That Cares. Thomas, welcome, sir. Thank you so much, Rob, and good, good to see you again. I mean, you were one of the first guys I interviewed for the book, so it's good to kind of get on. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about purpose and, 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 and why it's so powerful now. Yeah. I, you know, I, I sometimes say it's a, um, the two, it's a two-headed monster in so many ways because on, on, on the one side of the monster you have the, 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 the bull's head, the kind of, you know, the symbol of the whole New York Stock Exchange and stuff just saying money, money, money. And the other side you have this little cute lamb saying, you know, do something good, you know. And I think getting that balance right is just terrible uh, yeah. for a lot of companies also because it's... Uh, for some of them, they just forgot that purpose. I think any business that starts out starts with a, you know, a burning yeah. why for why you want to do stuff. Uh, but kind of getting that right is 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 really really difficult. Um, and especially these days, we see so many young people who are able to start a business and get it right from the very beginning. Right. Because I think you know what you might have seen with some of the big brands you're working on. I mean. It's so difficult. There's so many issues. There's so much turnaround that needs to happen if you want to create a, um, a sustainable brand. Yeah. Well, I think your idea of good advertising, um, I think at first blush you might go, oh, it's CSR. But yeah. I think what you're really talking about is why are we going to do this business? Now, I think there's a, uh, I don't know, kind of a, um, a dumb side of capitalism or, or an obvious side of capitalism, yeah. which is we're going to do this to make money. Yeah. Okay, but once you make the money, then what? Yeah, the thing is, people don't care too much about it anymore in our part of the world. I think it's, it really depends on where you are. And, 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 and define that part of the world. I mean, um, I'm out of up Denmark, Western Europe, the US, I think, would, would count for the same thing. But I, I think we've, we've been, you know, consuming for so many years. Yeah. And I mean, I just saw it the other day with my uh, brother's uh, youngest daughter. She's 13. Mm. And she wished, you know, when I was 13, I wished, you know, one of those boom boxes with, you know, the, the CD player and a radio and all that stuff. That was my biggest wish. Exactly. Exactly. And the things she wanted for her birthday was jumping out of a plane and a parachute. Experience. You know, meaning, experience, all that stuff. And I think that change is, is fascinating. And I think the, you know, the world today, I mean, it's... 
there's so many challenges that we're facing. So most of the time I don't talk about CSR, I don't really talk too much about advertising, but really how do you create a sustainable business? Yeah. I think that is going to be the big challenge in the next 30 years. If we don't succeed with that turnaround, shit. Is there brand fatigue? Is there brand uninterest? Like what's happening with, uh, with Gen Z? Um, oh yeah, um, I think there's, there's happening quite a, quite a lot of stuff there. I think, you know, the whole tactics of advertising is getting a little, you know, bit boring. I mean, we all see those, you know, have as meaningful brands and all those surveys that says, you know, people are tired of brands. Um, and secondly, I think, you know, that generation just want to do stuff themselves. And uh, some of the stuff I'm working right now uh, on, on a second book is around empowerment. And I think the brands that will succeed is the brands that succeed giving away the power, giving, you know, giving up the control of the marketing mix because these people are just used to it. Mm. I mean, uh, you can turn your little unused room into a hotel, you can do your own little podcast, video lock, all that stuff. They are just completely in control. So, I mean, in advertising, we just haven't realized that yet. That, <laughs> you know, my little niece is the one that got all the power. And I think that's a great thing. We've got a special program. We're, gonna, we're here at Advertising Week, so if you hear some uh, murmuring and chattering, that's uh, people here at the, the Advertising Week program. And we're thrilled to welcome Professor of Advertising uh, at Seneca College uh, in Toronto, Professor Anthony Calumet. Thank you for having me, Rob. Really enjoying this. Thank you. It's great. It's great to have you here. Now, we were talking a little bit before about the positioning of your particular program at Seneca. So talk to us again about this left-right thing you're doing. So. When, when we were developing this program, we started out as creative advertising. I mean, that's the name of our program. Uh, primarily copywriters were coming out of our program, you know, art directors that would excel. Then we started seeing that as strategists were growing, the account service department was starting to look at more creative ventures. So we started to refocus our program and take a look in depth as to what will make a better graduate. And so we went and looked at strategy, creative, how they have to work together, we then looked at how we could change ourselves in the clutter of all of the other advertising programs in Canada, North America, globally. And so we came up with this idea of left plus right. Left brain, right brain. But the reality of how important strategy is to getting great creative and how creative impacts the strategy. So it, it, it became our way of creating a culture within the program. Uh, from day one, we kind of make it part of you know, their experience. So even from you know, the first semesters with our uh, experiential learning along the way, they get to touch point on everything. So even by the time they exit, copywriters have had a really good immersion into strategy. The strategists have a really great immersion into the creative process. And at the, really at the end of the day, the graduate truly is left plus right. Yeah, I think uh, that, 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 that's a real disruption. I think there's still, you know, creative-oriented programs, there's some uh, strategy-oriented programs, there's some data-oriented programs, so uh, I think it's great that you're uh, unifying things. Right. Let's talk a little bit about fame, because you mentioned that uh, they're, they're digital, they're not watching television. I mean, I have this theory about how do you get to be phone famous? Because now, suddenly, uh, that's the place where you're going to be uh, uh, exposed, uh, where, where people are going to yep. get awareness of you. So are you seeing, um, they, I don't know, seeds of phone fame? Oh, yeah. They're, like, I mean, they're marching into, they want to be the next Instagram. Or, I mean, every, like, they bring in a conversation right away, and they go, I'm going to do Casey Neistat while I'm in New York. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to do everything to do Gary Vee. Like, you know, it's because they see that like, it just looks so fresh, and it's... And it's 
in the moment right. and, and it's fast and you know like live Facebook the number of my students that are even live Facebooking part of a lecture or Snapchatting mm. part of a lecture or you know just to be part of again to bring their voice into the content that they're consuming and even I have a couple of students that will be watching something online you know Game of Thrones or whatever and the next thing you know they've got a you know another feed going where they're running a commentary alongside mm -hmm. and it, and they're all excited by this they're all looking for how can I scale this up that's mm -hmm. I mean they're all looking at scale can I get this ultimately to fill my pocketbook can it buy me my next pair of Jordans that sort of right idea, right how do you monetize yeah everything's uh, a, yeah but uh, yeah this, this, this is a group that sees their phone sees mobile as really in in two years that's it like that 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 they won't need a laptop they won't need a you know it, they are doing everything there their, wow. their content creation is is amazing i have a couple of instagrammers that are just absolutely phenomenal so how do you orient the program knowing that the output is going to be a small screen in someone's hand seat of my freaking pants <laughs> i mean i walk in in the morning and i i literally i say so uh what's new guys is there anything i i missed i i, I went to the cottage this weekend so what happened Let's talk artificial intelligence. I was reading uh, something uh, over the last couple of days where they said, uh, you know, AI is the new black in our business. I mean, what I mean, what have you discovered? I love that you're not an AI person, by the way, and you can maybe break it down into human terms. Well, first of all, I always like to say I, I've seen this movie before in this business. You know, I was CEO of a social media agency four or five years ago. And that's what I used to say then. And it, all of this new stuff goes through the same process of kind of the, you know, the shiny object phase right. where people put nickels and dimes at it and they don't expect any result and it's experimental. Right. And then it gets some scale and then people are like, oh, hey, I, this, this stuff actually has to work. And then, you know, AORs happen and all this, you know, metrics and all this stuff happens that makes it real. So, so I love this cycle. So it starts out as a, like a little seed of an idea, then it becomes shiny, then it becomes an experiment. Right. I mean, these, it, this is the... Then it grows and gets to scale. Right. Then it flattens out and gets either reinvented or declines. And, uh, you know, we're, we're about to move from the experimental to the growth phase where it's, it, it's, it's getting scale. Yeah. Uh, you'd mentioned to me that IBM is now has an, a Watson agency, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm, Watson is uh, he's not going to uh, have to fly to Cannes and spend, you know, $20,000 per per person, per but, machine but, 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 but to go. But it's not but, cheap, right? I mean, right. artificial intelligence, I think just the very name of it, if I'm a client, it sounds like we're going to need some investment dollars here. Well, I think it's going to get cheaper. It's certainly not going to get more expensive, you know, and uh, that, that's where it's going to go. So we all better make some hay quick while we have jobs and purposes. So, again, as, you, as uh, an early explorer on this, or as a uh, civilian explorer, maybe that's more, uh, more accurate. I mean, what surprised you? Um, well, first of all, you know, with, with anything that has to do with data, which is, you know, basically what AI is, it's, you know, uh, data made really smart, so it becomes like a person. You know, where you can, Turing test, you can never tell the difference between a person and the machine at some point. Um, so there's a sort of different 
uh, a hierarchy of difficulty. So the easy, obvious stuff has to do with things that are very measurable and quantitative, like media spending mm. and where you run media and, you know, those sorts of decisions. Uh, the tricky part is as it gets to be more in the creative zone, what happens? And so I always try to, what I ask everybody is, where's the edge, mm -hmm. right? Where's the edge of what it can do and mm. can't do? And I think right now, uh, from a creative standpoint, it's... Um, it, 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 because the issue is, look, we can, we can hyper-segment to 200 segments, but right now, can we make 200 different ads? Right. <laughs> right? Uh, not as quickly as so we can do 200 the, different media plans, right? That's sort of on the production end, the, the production manufacturing. And, right, and, and creative. So I, I don't think it can create from a blank piece of paper yet. You know, though in journalism, it seems to be able to, you know, write articles and, and write poems and scripts, mm. but it can certainly customize things that have been done in a smart way. And that, I, that seems to be the edge right now. Well, speaking of edge, that, the one thing I saw that where I, you know, as a, as a citizen AI watcher, uh, a novice, I thought there was something powerful in what Campbell's did, which is they harmonized, uh, the data that they had on where you lived, that you could take uh, Campbell's recipe with the food that's growing in your neck of the woods uh, and make something that's kind of a combination of Campbell's and organic. That seemed okay. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, no, I like that. And it, it you know, it sort of feels like something that um, my neighbor would have my local restaurant would do you know like yeah. like all the really good um you know when amazon's uh, recommendation engine you know you bought this book you might like that book. right i always felt what that really does is uh it duplicates uh the behavior of a good sales clerk in a local bookstore right right, right. and I, I think the best are things that feel human and duplicate what the best humans do then you know right. you got something you think there's something about the um, physical behavior of a phone? So, uh, like, my wife will often say, like, if I'm on the phone, she's like, oh, you're with your mistress again. Who's the phone? <laughs> right. Right? Like, we sleep with the phone. Absolutely. We wake up with the phone. Uh, is there something about the intimate behavior yes. that is... Oh, yes. Starting to necessitate what should happen? Oh, yes. I speak a lot about this. Um, I mean, there is no question that today's phone is yesterday's jackknife, right? I mean, mm. you, there's so many things you could, you could do with it, mm. right? When you were a kid, you had the scissors and you had the little, you know, the little knife and the big knife and the corkscrew. That's what our phone is right now. So we can do so many things at a very functional level, no doubt. But our relationship to mobile goes far deeper than that. And there are many reasons, mm. and I, I, won't want, I don't want to take up the whole podcast talking about it, but just you know, one example I bring to light, because it's simple but so clear to everyone, is that even though we live in a highly virtual world, and I literally just you know, launched and, and put out there a study we did on VR, which is super cool, but <laughs> even though, not plugging in or anything, but even though um, we live in this highly virtual world, we still have a fundamental need, and that word fundamental is, I use that often when it comes to digital. We have a fundamental need to want to connect with the physical places and spaces that right. surround us, which is why we love decorating our homes mm. or the bar around the corner. Like these places ground us. They right. serve as our foundational compass. And there's a term for that called placemaking. Mm. And our phones allow us to placemake like never before. Mm. Allows us to give meaning and value to these local places and spaces because let's say I live right above Hell's Kitchen, mm -hmm. for example. 
if you walk down Hell's Kitchen, it used to be cool and drug deals, and there's still a few of those going on. But it's mostly <laughs> restaurant after restaurant yeah. after restaurant. It's sort of hell adjacent now. Hell adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> it's hellish because I'm walking through it. But, um, but anyway, so you pass by all these restaurants, and you just would ignore them. Right. But let's say I stop at a red light. I see a restaurant that's interesting to me through the portal of my phone. I can find out what that restaurant's all about. What's the cuisine? How many stars? Mm. Then Yelp tells me what's the best seat in the house to sit at. What's the dish I should get? So I take a breather from my meetings. I go in. I sit down. Beautiful dish. Then what do I do? I'm going to take a picture of it. Right, right. right. I take a picture of it. I send it to the ether, to my social network. That's on my phone. Right. I get an email or text back by my friend saying, validating (laughs) and saying, this is, oh my God, I love that restaurant. That's where my husband proposed to me. Add chipotle sauce to the dish. It'll taste so much better. (laughs) All of that is through my phone. Yeah. Right, that texting, that 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 investigating, that picture taking, all that allowed me to add more meaning and value to a place I would have normally just passed by. Right, right. That is just one of the many deep insights that we don't even realize that mm. these phones are giving us. They're allowing us to tap and unleash deep-seated human needs and desires that, in some cases, we haven't been able to really express. And and I think it goes back to what you said about progress. It's about human progress. Absolutely. Right? So everything you say, I think, is what's amazing about digital and it's the human side of it and the humanity of it and the need for it but are we at a new plateau where where we are like is this 1G and is there going to be 2G absolutely I mean I think if you think about the printing press right the printing press created a sea change for humanity but there were going to be problems too that came came about. Things were printed that people that were harmful to people. So then you start creating regulations around that. You know, Mein Kampf was printed. Should we say the printing press should go to the to the shitter because of that? No, right. But then you create rules around that to evolve with the evolving technology. So I think to your point, it's all about progress. And the only way we learn is when we sometimes fuck up too. Yeah. And those fuck ups are important. Um, and that's why hackers are great, right? There was this TED talk about hackers and how we should all embrace hackers because what they do is they force us to open our eyes to the problems mm. around us. And we need to open our eyes to that so that we can create safer, better, more uh, human-friendly solutions. Let's talk about the power of storytelling. We're trying to build curriculum constantly. We have an amazing advisory that, again, also comes to us, you know, industry advisors right. from various levels, various uh, career paths. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they tell us, like, have you got somebody? You know, and, and everybody, have you got somebody? And that it was, again, last week, do you have a graduate that really gets content on phone? Like, do you have somebody that can do live video for me? And I go, well, you know, how live? And they go, no, right off of like Facebook Live, mm. uh, Instagram Live. Like they, and it's, but, but, but even so I got to build best, curriculum around that. I mean, when you look at uh, Casey Neistat, we can use him. I mean, this guy's a great storyteller. That's I right. mean, the fact that um, it's coming at you with a sense of immediacy and freshness, but uh, aren't there some things that are evergreen? Oh, 100%. And that's where, again, like I keep trying to remind them, I said, you can do all of this, but if you've got nothing to say, and you're not making content that people are going to engage in. And yes, I, I will bring back Casey Neistat. You know, you see one Casey video, you may have probably seen about 75 others, but the reality is he tries to make each one unique, he tries to bring somebody into the story, and he captures it. You know, I mean, at home, I got a 15-year-old who kind of gobbles his stuff up pretty quick because he admires that. And I, I, asked, I asked my son, Hunter, I go like, so what is it? And he goes, 
he just has a he just knows how to talk to me mm. and 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 he in, inspires me you know to, to to maybe go out and film something and you know vlog something and yeah, so these that yeah you're right and so i go back to the classroom and i say look if you don't have a story you don't have something to anchor do you have a mission statement i mean right now i'm doing a you know their career class and i go if you don't have a tagline for yourself yet like what are you going to stand behind you know like inspire nurture motivate that's you know anthony calumet what's yours and build your stories that you create around that Amazing. I, you know, you mentioned Bill Birnbach. So what do you think he would do if he walked into, you know, 437 Madison Avenue this morning uh, and he saw this array of storytelling tools? I mean, just given, you know, you're, you're a student of the game, student of Birnbach. I mean, what, how, would, how would Bill Birnbach deal with all this? He'd be really excited. You think? Because well, I mean, we both uh, talked to George Lewis in the last couple of years. And I mean, you know, he's just as excited as, you know, but he keeps going back and saying, you know, that, that, you know what, man, I don't want to swear, but you know what he would say. The bottom line is, like, he, he would tell you, like, ah, it's only a tool. You, yeah. you really have to have the core. You know, you've got to be rooted in something. And I think Bill Birnbach would be the same way. But, again, he was a master storyteller. Because mm-hmm. when you go back to the work that they did, everything had a great story. Even as simple as a line drawing with a gas pump to the head, you knew what that story was. Yep. Volkswagen saves gas. And, Which so, could and, be a post Today, yeah, abs- which could be a slight bit of animation. Uh, yeah, you could gift that to, you know, gift fill. I mean, the, 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 the idea is that the, he would, I think, master these tools. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's what I think I have to always get back to the kids. I go, don't forget these masters. You know, like they get hooked up and they go, oh, you know, Alex Boguski, some Serbian chick and CPB. And I'm going, yeah, well, maybe go back a little further <laughs> and take a look at Ali Gargano. You know, take yeah. a look, you know, and, I, and, and once you know how they've mastered, think about what they would do today. Like what, what would, and again, it's a great question, Rob. I mean, it's like, what would, again, we should have little bracelets, you know, like WW, you know, Birnbach do, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> what would Bill Birnbach do? Uh, because again, that is, you know, the question that, what would he do with all this? And I, I believe he would master this stuff. And he would look out. He would look around, and he'd say, "Where's all the adult supervision?" Because you know it's a very young game. Like that, you know, he goes, "Yeah, oh, geez, these are awfully young kids." But I'll, you know, I'll snap them into shape. But you know, again, these. I think they. Nothing has. The core hasn't changed. Right. What we do, we're storytellers that sell stuff, and that 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 that's a core value. It ain't creative unless it sells something. And so we got to sort of build that foundation into the tools that are at our access. We're here with Glisten McCrary. She's the head of creative agency partnerships at UTA, otherwise known as United Talent Agency. <laughs> Welcome, Glisten. Why, thank you. Now, one of the other things that uh, I had heard, and I think you can uh, you can attest to this, is yeah. the writer's room is being disrupted. It's not, you know, yeah. sort of. I don't no, know. no, it absolutely is. It's not like what it was, like eight Jews waiting for someone to be funny. I mean, it's not even just the composition of the writer's room that's changing, but it's, you know, the number of series, um, it's the number of episodes, it's the style of show. Mm. The whole space is sort of changing, and then sort of where does it go, right? How writers need to think about a program now has totally morphed from where it was even just five years ago. The ability to you know, write a show that's going to be binged or the ability to write a show where you're going to have to know that you want to build in interaction points with either the characters or the stars or the furniture in some cases, right? Then it, it builds this this complete brand versus just, uh, oh, it's a show. That's amazing. So uh, I want to unpack this. First off, the notion of... Uh, making it binge-worthy from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So this goes into the thinking of shows now? 
So it's less about it being binge-worthy, although I'm sure that's something that you think about, right? But the style of um, knowing that you have a week in between shows, that's a different kind of writing than being able to write something where someone sits down and watches all episodes at once. And then you mentioned something about uh, maybe kind of the brand world of the show, we could call it, and uh, oh, the furniture and stuff. I mean, are these good opportunities for brands? I mean, I could see Home Goods coming in saying, "Hey, we're going to, you know, yeah. work with UTA, and we're going to, you know, create the next Friends set." Yeah. So I think that there are a million good opportunities for brands to play and for artists to play. I mean, take you know, Empire for example. I think has done a really interesting job. There's jewelry, there's furniture, there's clothing. You know, there there are. And that was super proactive on their part, mm. right? They were thinking about this from the beginning. Um, even one of our artists has paintings on the show that are now also for sale. Wow. So this, I think, is not only a disruption, but I think this is an amazing opportunity for brands because there is this fragmented audience and uh, you can't just insert something on, a t on live television. So suddenly, maybe there's opportunity to sit with showrunners and brands and agencies and go, okay, let's create something. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that. And I think it even expands bigger than that, right? So what we just talked about was essentially sort of integrated brands, right? But there, there are sort of three big opportunities, and these are the three ways that I work with agencies and their clients. And the first is really about... Um, you know, we have talented creators that can help agencies and brands think about client challenges from a totally different perspective mm. because their ideas are born from the world of storytelling, from the world of movies, from the world of music and entertainment. And so if agencies need a writer that knows how to speak to a specific persona, right? Mm -hmm. So let's pretend you have a client that really wants to target millennial women. I'm sure you have none that want to target millennials. But millennials? Let's just, who, who are they? Are I they, don't know. Are they, are they coming up in the world? I started calling it the M word. <laughs> um, so I can tee up a writer uh, from Girls or Inside Amy Schumer or Broad City and that person can come and be part of your team, mm. part of whatever writer's room it might be, right? A freelance style. Mm. Um, same with sort of a director. It ensures cultural relevance. Um, these folks, I should also use this opportunity to talk about something that uh, misconception I hear a lot, and that is, well, they're really difficult to deal with and they're really expensive. And wh while they're that, only one of those two, <laughs> and we're going to make the audience guess which one. While that may be true for, for some of our celebrity clients, some, the writers and the people we have that are creators, the directors, they wake up every morning just wanting to make cool shit. Yeah. They, they're creators. They want to be a part of a team that's doing something exciting and different. And so the idea of them coming in and working with the TVWA would be, they love this idea, right? So the second way that I work with agencies is really around IP. And this is another mm -hmm. potential. And, and this is, you know, the Empire is a good example for sure, but isn't limited to things like that. There are opportunities for shows that we have that are in various stages of development that are amazing enough to go any distribution platform, let's just leave that out of the conversation for now, on their own, 
but lend themselves well. I call them brand-friendly legs, right? Mm -hmm. So let's stick with millennial women for a second, right? Let's say Dove, right? So let's pretend Dove wants to participate in branded entertainment, and we have this amazing piece that centers around uh, personal beauty and woman's strength and every woman, and now all of a sudden we have a values alignment, mm. right? Same works for the charitable arm of organizations, right? So whether it's food waste for a, a consumer packaged goods company or whatever that might be, these the value alignment can serve to to move a brand forward. Mm. Um, and then the third bucket is obviously the Holy Grail, which is total bespoke original content. Mm. Let's talk girl power. Uh, we're here with Shelly Zalas, who is the founder and CEO of the Female Quotient and creator of the Girls' Lounge. Shelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, especially talking about my favorite topic, which is disruption. Excellent. And uh, yeah, you're transforming the world. Uh, you know what? The truth is, it was unintentional. Mm. And, you know, I always say we went from a moment to a movement. And it really started by accident when I went to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And I heard there was over 150,000 people. And as a market researcher, I wanted to move into technology. But it was a little intimidating. Even yeah. though I was a CEO of a, a large and growing research company, I didn't know anyone. Yeah, you weren't a guy in, in your basement uh, playing video games. Yeah. And so, you know, I what did you do? You invite your girlfriends. So I invited four girlfriends. And I said, let's go to the show together. And if you know other women, invite them. And 24 hours later, two remarkable things happened. One, 50 women showed up. Mm. And we walked the floor. And all of a sudden, every head turned, which were all, of course, men. Where the hell did all you women come from? And that's when we really coined the phrase, power of the pack. Right. The woman alone has power. Collectively, we have impact. It was this mass group of powerful women walking the mm. floor together. And the second was a confidence moment. I was surrounded by people just like me with work-life balance challenges. How do we do it all? Perfection, the voice in our head, you know, trying to be a man is a waste of a woman, you know, acting like the masculine side. And we, it was a confidence moment. We coined the phrase confidence is beautiful. And the girl sound was born from that day. You know, day two, we had 150 women. By day three, we had the penthouse suite of the four seasons and there was 300 of us doing deals with one another and getting to know one another. And that's how the Girls' Lounge was born. So interesting. So you've got, we're going to unpack this a little bit. You've got Girls' Lounge, which is uh, its own kind of initiative now. Uh, and then you've got Female Quotient. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, how those two uh, work with each other. So the Female Quotient is the umbrella. Um, I, I say first came the intelligence quotient IQ, then the emotional quotient EQ, now comes the female quotient FQ. You know, we all talk about diversity being good for business, but if diversity is good for business, why are we going backwards? Right. It makes no sense. So the company is committed to the business of equality. Oh, great. And underneath the female quotient, we currently have two pillars. Pillar one is the Girls' Lounge, and the Girls' Lounge has now connected over 17,000 women, um, corporate women, to one another to work together, to connect, collaborate, and activate change together, mm. and have very authentic, unplugged conversations, mm. and not just conform to the rules that were created over 100 years ago in the workplace. But what do we really need to thrive and you know stay in the workplace right. instead of opting out in middle management, which cool. we call the messy middle? And, you know, so the Girls' Lunch became, um, it's, it's basically an experiential pop-up at big industry mm. conferences, connecting women in marketing, media.
media, advertising, research, technology, finance. We now go to the World Economic Forum. Um, and then we also do girls' lunches within corporations to create communities of women within companies. And we also now um, do them on college campuses to wow. connect, you know, college, you know, girls. But also it's a great um, recruiting platform. Yeah. Well, I, I want, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I love the, this disruptive idea of a girls' lounge in the boys' club. Yeah. The fact that the convention was that it was all these boys' clubs, and suddenly, based out of necessity, you said, "Wait a minute, uh, what do, like, why am I the only woman in this in this area? Where am I? Where are people who can who look like me, who are like me? This this seems like a really powerful." notion. You know, it's it's so powerful because it's powered by collaboration. It's not my lounge, it's not yours, it's ours collectively. And I think one of the most important things, you know, people ask me all the time, why do you call it the girls lounge? Right. Why don't you call it the ladies lounge? That sounds like a bathroom. Why don't you call it the women's lounge? And you know, I explained that in the social world, the difference between girls and women is age or life stage. Mm. But in the corporate world, women at the top have historically been competitive with one another because right, there's such a scarcity right. of jobs. And we started acting like the men to fit in to the boys' club. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to reclaim the word girl, which is why you know I say girl is a mindset. It's about being bold and brave and fearless and breaking some rules right. to create some new ones. And more importantly, being girls' girls and girlfriends and supporting one another. And by the way, there's a boys club. No one argued with calling it boys. Why do we have a problem calling it the girls lounge? Right. So with no apology, sorry, not sorry, um, it has been really um, impactful in terms of the relationships. You know, I say men might do deals, women create relationships. Mm. You work with people you like, you work with people you trust, you work with people that have your back and, you know, have that authenticity about, you know, business, mm. you know, and, and, and working together. So it's been um, nothing shy of remarkable. And, and we have unbelievable partners, we say, given with love mm -hmm. from the girls at. Because companies don't make things happen, right. people do, right. and our people happen to be women. So um, before before you go into that, I want to talk a little bit about um, what happened at Davos. So again, when I think about Davos, this is like the, the last bastion of, you know, uh, masters of the universe, uh, and you disrupted that. So yeah. tell us a little bit about Davos. It, it was so awesome because we got invited to uh, the World Economic Forum in, in Davos, Switzerland. And, you know, I talk about heartbeat moments. It's not cognitive. It's the emo emotional side. Ba-boom, ba-boom. It was a heartbeat moment. Um, really? You're inviting us? And I call oh, it... You got an invite. You didn't just crash the gates. Oh, no. <laughs> we always come officially. You know, we were officially, unofficially invited. So not part of Congress, but part of the mainstream and you know in in Davos it's not a girls lounge it's an equality lounge it's world leaders men mm. and women activating solutions for change so it's really walking the talk and next step solutions so year one it was kind of scary to be invited and I once again I didn't want to go by myself so what did I do I invited some girlfriends it was back you to the CES moment brought the posse and I, I said I don't know if people are going to come we might be all by ourselves but we're going to have a great time no matter what and we took villas and we had a slumber party and <laughs> it was awesome and within you know one day word got out mm -hmm. and we were 
impact. Wow. And we were truly wonderfully disruptive mm. at the World Economic Forum. Like all of a sudden this wah, energy source came in with right. all of us women and they rolled out the red carpet at parties and a posse of 20 women showed up in a male-dominated you know, world. And then the second year, which was last year, we doubled our space and people knew where to find us, mm. what to expect, and that it was really gonna be about solutions for change. Not just admiring the problems, right. not just talking about, but really what are next step mm -hmm. solutions? And not signing a petition with your commitment, but really saying, here's some simple things that we can do. Let's talk Hollywood and Madison Avenue. So you're over at the UTA, uh, the United Talent Agency. Yes. And, um, you know, you're kind of our Hollywood representative. I mean, what, what are you seeing here in Advertising Week from where you sit and you live in Los Angeles? So, yeah. you know, coming east, like, what are you looking forward to seeing, hearing, thinking about? Yeah, so at UTA, and, and I should make it clear that uh, while I'm certainly representing a talent agency here at Advertising Week, my background is in marketing, branding, and advertising with... I've done time in Omnicom twice, and uh, I came to... We're not going to hold that against you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I came to UTA because I feel like the future of the industry that I love, which is ours, marketing, right, is at the intersection of entertainment. Mm. And uh, each of the big three talent agencies have their own sort of play into what that is, right? right. So CAA has organically grown an advertising play via CAA marketing. And WME has acquired their advertising play, Droga 5. And UTA is the only one of the big three that doesn't have a direct-to-brand advertising offering, which I think is a huge skill set for us because it clears a path for me to be able to have open partnerships with firms like TBWA where you guys feel comfortable opening up the kimono and we can find ways to work together at this sort of intersection of entertainment and Yeah, and, and I think what's very interesting, and I think your timing uh, of the show is also really interesting, given that The Rock just launched his agency. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, all we hear is, you know, the, the end of the advertising agency, but, you know, <laughs> here's The Rock opening up his agency. Uh, IBM, they opened up uh, their agency, Watson. Um, uh, there was another one I just saw, you know, Snoop. Uh, we just interviewed Snoop Dogg. He's got an there. ad agency. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, who's next, Bieber? I mean, like, what's going on? Why does everybody want to be in our business? And in particular, from, from where you sit yeah. uh, in Hollywood. Yeah, so, so I definitely don't feel that advertising is dying, but like entertainment, I feel like it needs to evolve. And these two industries are at this unique place, and I think what these plays are, are plays to try, try to figure out what that opportunity is. Oh, they don't have the answer. Well, no. In fact, if you figure it out, you let me know. Okay. Um, We're but working it, on it's it. It's sort of the wild, wild west. When I first came to UTA, I thought the two industries, marketing and entertainment, were sisters. And the truth is they couldn't be further from mm. each other. Um, one of the first meetings that I sat in when I, when I joined UTA was after CES, and the team came back. Um, touting the number of C-level executive meetings and 850 agents around the world groaned. And our CEO, Jeremy Zimmer, had to pause the room and explain that in the marketing world, the hierarchy doesn't go A-list, B-list, C-list. C means chief, and that's the top. And everyone just goes, oh, okay, now I get it. So I think, you know... By the way, there are some A-list C-suite people. But I love that Hollywood <laughs> is like, oh... C-suite, is there an A-suite? I need to be in the A-suite. 
it's uh, it's just it highlights in a funny example the the sort of different places where the two industries are. And yeah. so I think you're seeing a lot of people try to figure out what that play is in the middle and try to have the translation and try to have the right people in place to figure out what that play is. It's the wild, wild west right yeah. now. If you're a snow globe right now, we're at maximum flurry in that space. How about some advice? Well, we, we our last question that we ask our guests is always a... Um, it's always an advice question. So I think for someone like you who has reinvented yourself a few times, uh, what's some advice for somebody who's looking to reinvent themselves? Let's say they've been stuck in an agency and they're like, you know what, I want to do something cool like John Bond. What's, uh, what's a piece of advice for someone who wants to reinvent themselves if they're at an agency? Well, the thing I always say first, which is attitudinal, is um, everyone talks about change and how hard change is. And I always go, I hate change. I really like shooting million-dollar commercials and staying at shutters, okay? Now, that's over. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, the only thing, I, I, I hate change, but I hate being irrelevant more. That's the thing I tell people. So first you have to accept that and stop complaining, <laughs> okay, because that's done. <laughs> and then... What you really have to do is, it's like medicine, right? In the 1800s, uh, there'd be one doctor per town, and they'd do all the diseases, all the people, and all the animals, too. And they were very valuable. Today, that's called the general practitioner. They don't make so much money as they used to. Right. And now it's the specialist deep brain surgeon. Well, not brain, what kind of brain surgeon? That particular thing. Right. And you have whatever that I'm a guy. left hemisphere uh, be, brain be, surgeon. Yeah, exactly. Left hemisphere. Now, you have a left hemisphere problem. You don't exactly go, okay, can I negotiate with you? You go, okay, just fix whatever it. Whatever it takes. Whatever yeah. it takes, right? So I want to be that guy or, or that woman. So you got to find the high value, yeah. you know, and it could be AI or something. You know, it, again, you got to go back to this movie that keeps playing of the curve and, and find a specialty where when you Google it, your name comes up. I always got Google is the search agency and, uh, and the headhunter, okay? <laughs> find something where when you Google it, your name will come up, right? And, and the number of searches are going up by 10 times every year. That's the thing you gotta go do. So I want you to give some advice to a brand yes. that wants to take a step into VR. And it's not, oh, well, call me or send right. me an email. Emotionally, what going back to your existential thing, what can a brand do to take this step? I think they have to actually get the individuals within the company at, in all different worlds of that company to experience VR. We hear about it, but I mean really experience it. I mean, go climb Mount Everest using, using HTC Vive. It is freaking scary. I had to stop. I mean, just experience it. Hmm. I think so many times our clients, they think they understand their end consumer. I don't even like that word consumer. That's a whole right. other piece of advice I would give too. For, what would you later. call them if not consumers? Human beings. Hmm. You know, I, I, I'm in a world where we call them users. At least that's a step forward. Right. At least because it's about using our product. Hmm. But when you, have the, when you have this notion of, I, I am thinking about my end consumer, you're saying, the only thing I really care about this person is that that person buys my product. Right. And we all smell that yep. a mile away. Hmm. But if you think about them as human beings, just like you, then 
with all these different sides of themselves and worlds that they live in and needs and desires and aspirations, that will come through in how we approach them and the stories we create yeah. to reach out to them. Let's say a brand is out there and they are struggling. They know that television uh, is not quite working, but they can't quite let it go. What's some advice for a brand? Uh, two things. And I'm, this is going to be a shameless plug also, right? Talk to your agency and, and talk to me, right? So if you're interested in, in playing in a different space, right? I'm, I'm assuming by television you mean commercial. Yeah, it's like a simple 30-second TV spot. Totally. Or maybe, maybe a 15. Or maybe one of the trendy and lovely Six sixes. Seconds. Yeah, right. Six. Um, a six-second so, spot. So my, my advice would be talk, talk to people about it, right? Talk to your agency. Bring me in. Most of my job, as I mentioned, is education, right? So you have a client, you want to talk to this client, bring me in. We can talk about all of the various options. We can talk about all of the various KPIs. And we can talk about all of the various ways that we might be all able right, to so leverage that piece of content. Let's dive a little deeper then. So give us an example of some KPIs, because Lord knows we love our metrics. Yeah, yes. Here on Madison Avenue. Yes. They should just call it uh, Metric Alley. <laughs> yeah, right. So there are, full candor, fewer... Uh, solid KPIs in this world since it's the wild, wild west, right? You can often get a bunch of arrows. So you get an arrow this way, another arrow that way, another arrow that way, so you can likely come ah, to the conclusion. The I in KPI, a key performance indicator. That's right. Right. We, I think clients like KPI is the answer. No, 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 That's it's right. directional. Um, but another big thing to know is if, if immediate sales is your goal, right? Like moving product, the the kind of brand funded content that I'm really focused on, the higher level pieces, that's not that's not going to achieve that goal. Um, it is an awareness play. It is sort of a shifting the perception play. It is sort of a higher purpose play. But none of these things can happen or have to happen only one way. It's a supplemental idea. So if you're thinking of, oh, I should take some of my budget away from the 30 second spot and try something new, it can be an and. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be all. Now I'm watching my alumni uh, and grads, the you know current grad class that just left last June, they're ending up uh, not in traditional shops. Mm. They are ending up a lot on client side. Uh, startups that have some uh, unique difference um, in creating content. I have a couple of alumni from as little as three years ago that have started agent, like their own digital shops. And interestingly enough, one of our uh, graduating class that came down uh, 10 years ago, the uh, partners from that, that they, they met at school, partners of this agency just celebrated their 10th anniversary. And literally they are now the digital department for three pretty big shops back home. And what they're doing now is again, exploring new ventures. How do you get new revenue streams into the agency? So nobody is going traditional. I, I, you know, yes, they go, I want to work at a Leo Burnett because Leo Burnett Toronto does some pretty great agency, work. Sure. We've got, you know, rethink great Canadian independent, yep. fantastic work. So yeah, there's always going to be that cluster that I, you know, they want to be there, but honestly they're going where they're going to see their comfort. I got students that will seek out a fashion company, a fashion startup and say, how can I get in on this? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll do the sweat equity 
for the opportunity. So uh, there's that traditional like, okay, I'm going agency only, right. has has evaporated somewhat. That's a huge, but that's a big disruption to say, hey, there's you know, more than one option than just yeah. going to an agency. Yeah, I, I go, you know, just Google advertising jobs and I think like 360 things come up, mm. that, you know, variables of what you could possibly do. And, and like I say, you know, the copywriters, I, you know, it's not writing ads only. You always need a writer. Yeah, and <laughs> if you, yeah, well, I say you always need art directors, you know, because <laughs> words can't look any, you know, can't look good if you don't, you know, make them look good. But these, uh, but no, but these, you know, they, 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 they're learning to write more yeah. and more beyond just an ad. Mm. They have to learn how to write a story in 140 characters. They're right. learning how to uh, engage on, the, you know, on, a, on a cell phone or an Instagram and, and even how to set that up yeah, properly. Yeah, yeah. And how do you do, what is the sort of click through that you want to try and mm. get? So, yeah, uh, I mean, nobody's going traditional, traditional. I mean, I, I, sorry, I said nobody, but uh, you know, I would say it's about 50% of the class is really starting to venture out. And, and as I do my career class with them, tell me, like, what is it you want? Like, mm. like what it, follow your bliss. I mean, it's the old Joe of, you know, like Campbell thing, like if follow your bliss, if you know, you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, and it goes right from the first lecture I give them. I say, you know, the day this turns into a J-O-B, like I got to go to work every day, mm -hmm. I'm out. Like I don't want to, I do, I do not want a job. And that's how you got to feel about what you do every day. And so find what you love and, and, you know, see if you can scale it up and monetize it. What's one piece of advice you give to a brand that is, uh, you know, maybe maybe ready to hear their their uh, their better angels, as <laughs> President Lincoln uh, once yeah. uh, gave us as a metaphor. Um, balls, big hairy balls. I mean, uh, we're at a time where you know every CEO got a you know innovate a die cup on their desk, and I think. Ideas are so tremendously cheap. I mean, everybody can get ideas. They happen in the shower, but balls are like a really seldom uh, to thing. To take action. Exactly. To do something. Yeah, and that speaks uh, uh, tenfold. So the advice you would give to uh, a senior now, a, a female senior uh, who's not a STEM person, but who's actually a, a liberal arts person, and there's plenty of them, and... Uh, What's the best advice you can give them? What's your daughter's name? Uh, Caroline. But Coco, everyone calls her Coco. Okay, Coco. Here's, let's go. Number one, anything is possible. You can be whatever you imagine you can be. But don't listen to others around you. You have to first have that confidence in yourself. So know you can do whatever you want to do, number one. Number two, shut that bitch up in your head that tells you I'm not good enough, I'm not qualified, I don't have all the characteristics that I need. You know, just make that voice go away. You know, Wendy Clark says, shut that bitch up, and Ariana Huffington says it's that horrible roommate, you know, in your head. Make it go away. You know, I think number three, um, be comfortable that you're different. Uh, you know, my favorite expression is trying to be a man is a waste of a woman. Sarah Jessica Parker. I, I don't want to be a man. I love that. I think the, you know, men bring great discipline to business. You know, in the masculine style of leadership, linear, analytic, decisive, aggressive, assertive. The feminine, collaborative, nurturing, empathetic. We need those skill sets in the workplace today. So own your strengths. Don't hide them. And I, I think... Fourth, be bold, mm. be brave, be fearless, be a girlfriend, create a support system. And um, fifth, I don't know how many you asked me for. Can I, you want a fifth? 
why not? Perfection doesn't exist. There is no such thing as perfect. It's perfect your way. And that, to me, is perfection. Perfection itself is boring. If everyone were the same, we wouldn't need each yeah. other. And so your mm. individuality and how it plays with the team for the power of the collaborative energy is what will you know, take you through success in the workplace. Well, Shelly, that's uh, amazing advice, not just for my daughter, I appreciate it, but for anybody out there. And I think all of us uh, who need to get a, you know, a brave, disruptive idea out there, and I think that, that's what you've done. Um, so thank you. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, brought to you by TBWA Shiat Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashiatny.tumblr.com. 